Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels' pallbearers carried him to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment." Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If you are a wealthy male, more than likely, you will live 15 years. Do you get that? 15 years more than a male who's living in poverty. If you are a wealthy female, you will live 10 years more than a female who is living in poverty. These statistics are startling. And when I saw the headline that captured those statistics, I thought to myself, why? What's, what's going on here? It must be around health care. The poor don't have access to quality health care. But the study, when I went on to read it, actually said that wasn't the determining factor on this disparity of years between the poor and the wealthy. So what was or what is that contributing factor? Chronic stress. In the New Republic, May of 2019, their research says that from neuroscience, psychology, and neurobiology, 
researchers found a powerful link between poverty, chronic stress, and severe health outcomes. Chronic stress can literally kill us. Listen to, the, listen to this. It increases the risk and severity of diseases like type 2 diabetes, gastrointestinal disorders. It impairs the growth of children, so it not only affects adults, but it can affect the child. It can suppress our immune systems, and it increases our likelihood of becoming depressed or addicted. Now, you may say, wait a minute, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you don't feel chronic stress. That is true, but there's a difference. The type of chronic stress and the extreme in which it is felt for those who are poor is amazing. A life of poverty can mean a life of constant stress. Where am I going to live? Will I be able to pay next month's rent? If I'm behind in rent, how long until they, they evict me? What about my car? That funny noise is starting to make. My daughter is not feeling well. Can I afford to take her to the doctor? Or can I afford to get her medicine refilled? Another factor that comes into this age disparity is what is called deaths by despair. For those who are poor, they are more likely to commit suicide and overdose on some type of drug. Why? There's a sense of hopelessness. That disparity, 15 years for men, 10 years for women, that disparity between the poor and the wealth not only affects the years in which we live, but it encompasses a wide range of areas in people's lives. The amazing thing is that when you go to the New Testament and you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the life of Jesus and what he says about money, it becomes evident very quickly that Jesus understood that that disparity that we just talked about existed in his day. It had a dramatic impact upon the quality of life of those who were poor versus those who were wealthy. A perfect example of this is seen in the story, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Normally, when we first read this story, we want to moralize it. Because as we understand from first century, the idea was that if you were wealthy, you were blessed by God. If you were poor, you were cursed by God. But in this parable, something changes. The rich man, who we would expect to be next to Abraham, ends up in Hades. Why? Well, we would guess that perhaps he had done something wicked. He had done something evil, something morally wrong that earned him disfavor with God and put him in Hades. What about the poor person? Well, again, the temptation is to believe that this poor person should be in Hades because they had done disfavor to God. But the parable doesn't do that. 
the parable actually has this poor person picked up by the pallbearers and delivered into the bosom of Abraham. And so many surmise that despite this man's poverty, he was righteous, that he had earned favor with God, and this was his reward. Again, we want to moralize this parable. We want to say the reason why the outcome is the way it is is because it's about a good man versus an evil man. But the parable doesn't want us to do that. The parable simply says this is a parable, this is a story about a wealthy man and a poor man. It's that simple. When you read the parable, nowhere in it does Jesus indict the wealthy man. Nowhere in the parable does Jesus praise the poor man. Jesus simply describes these two individuals. And then by describing them, he allows us to compare them. Listen again to verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. In verse 20, compare and see the difference. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. So on one side, you have a wealthy man who is clothed with luxurious purple robe, and on the other side, a man who is clothed with sores. And the extreme in which he is at in his health is such that he can't even chase the dogs away. Because at the very end of verse 20, it says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Again, no judgment, just a simple description of facts. Again, in verse 19, this rich man, it says, lived in luxury, and then adds to make sure we understand that form of luxury, every day he lived that way. On the other side is Lazarus, a man in poverty, a beggar, who it says is longing to eat what fell from the table of the rich man. Again, there's no moralizing. It's simply a description of the state of being of a wealthy person and a poor person. But when they die, the comparison doesn't stop. The description doesn't stop. And moralizing is not added back in. In fact, after they die, we have further insight into the attitude of this wealthy man. In verse 23, it says in Hades, where the rich man was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he said to him. Now, the previous verse doesn't tell us who him is. It could either be Lazarus or Abraham. We don't know what the antecedent is until we hear the first words that come out of this rich man's mouth. Father Abraham. The rich man does not address Lazarus. He ignores Lazarus and goes right to Abraham. And notice his attitude. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus 
hear it? You, Abraham, were a powerful and wealthy man. I also am a wealthy man. The poor will listen to us. And it would be beneath me to ask you, Abraham, to do this deed. But do you see this poor beggar next to you? Why, why don't you just send him to me? Have him offer up to me just a little bit of water to quench my thirst because I'm in agony. Again, notice the attitude of the wealthy man. He still sees Lazarus as a less than, a servant, his gopher, someone he can tell what to do. And it would be even beneath him to talk to him, so he asked Abraham to do it on his behalf. And the text continues by saying, and Abraham replied. Now this would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to have put the moralizing into the parable. It would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to have Abraham said, you need to remember how you treated this poor man, this beggar. And not only him, but you need to remember how you treated people in general. That's why you're in Hades. But instead, listen to what the text says. Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. That's it. No further explanation. No moralizing. It's just simple facts. This is the way you lived, and this is what's happened to you. Lazarus, this is the way he lived, and this is what happened to him. It's just simple description of the reality that they are experiencing. And then Abraham goes on and he says, anyway, there is such a great chasm between us that even if I wanted to, I couldn't get to you. No one can get to you. And then what's startling in this parable is how Abraham, I mean, excuse me, how Lazarus replies. He said, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Do you hear it? Nothing has changed. The attitude of this wealthy man is still the same. He sees the poor as objects to serve him. That's it. Even after the condition, he still wants to treat Lazarus in this way. Nothing has changed. But we need to understand that this parable is not about a good man and an evil man. It's simply a parable about a wealthy man and a poor man. But as Jesus is telling this parable, we begin to understand that Abraham, and in turn God, sees indignation, feels indignation in the way that 
this disparity exists in how people live their lives. And God decides to flip it, to reverse it. You've heard it before, the first will be last and the last will be first. Why? Not because of any moral reason, nothing to do with sin. It's just very simple. God, according to Jesus, and his understanding of God, feels indignation when he perceives the disparity between how people live their lives. The reality is that disparity continues today. That attitude between the wealthy toward the poor still exists today. There were two psychologists in Berkeley who did a study. They actually went out to a busy corner, a four-way corner, this intersection. And they watched the traffic. And they began to notice something, that those who were driving luxurious cars, those who tended to drive the higher-end cars, they were more apt to cut off other people, turn in front of them. Not only that, but they also, if a person, a pedestrian, was getting ready to cross the road, they noticed that the driver of these high-end cars would actually even make eye contact with that pedestrian and not slow down and just keep going. They begin to realize throughout their studies, these, not only these two, but other ones they did, that the wealthy tend to be less compassionate to the poor. And again, we would think it would be the opposite. If you're wealthy, that means you've got a lot of stuff. You have all your needs met, so you could help other people. But this study says that's not the case. It's just the opposite. And so they begin to wonder why. And they hypothesized the possibility that the wealthier you become, the more you feel independence, the more freedom you feel. So you don't have to rely on other people to have your needs met. You can just rely on yourself. And when you rely just on yourself, the needs of other people become less important. The wealthy tend to become more self-engaged, more focused on themselves. They also said another factor that could not be dismissed was just simple greed. And again, we would think if you reach a certain amount of level of money, you would be content. But with the wealthy, the greed doesn't stop. It continues to drive them. So this disparity and this attitude of the wealthy toward the poor was not only real in the time of Jesus, but it's still real today, and it is having a startling impact upon you and me. Now, the majority of us are probably going to say, well, we're not the wealthy, because we look at those who earn more than us as being the wealthy. So we have to admit that this is somewhat subjective. But that should not stop us 
from understanding and listening to how this parable speaks to us. That in Jesus' mind, God is indignant when he sees the disparity in how people have to live their lives. Daisy Grewal, in her article entitled, How Wealth Reduces Compassion, says the following, Given the growing income inequality in the United States, the relationship between wealth and compassion has important implications. Those who hold most of the power in this country, political and otherwise, tend to come from privileged backgrounds. Those who have the power, political or otherwise, tend to come from privileged backgrounds. She continues, if social class influences how much we care about others, then the most powerful among us may be the least likely to make decisions that help the needy and the poor. They may also be the most likely to engage in unethical behavior. Wow. That's startling. I mean, we get hung up on this whole idea of the Democrats care more for the poor, the Republicans care more for the poor. We're becoming more polarized because of political powers. This writer captures captures something that Jesus even saw. That this disparity that exists between the wealthy and the poor not only affects how they live their lives, but it impacts how the wealthy view the poor. They will make decisions that will have less compassion than if someone who was in power and was poor would make. So what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, there's no moralizing to it. Jesus simply says, this is the way it is. I think the answer is found not in a to-do list or objectives to reach. The answer is simply sitting with the parable, reading it. I I challenge you. I challenge you to commit to one week, seven days, every single day read this parable and just sit with it and reflect upon it. Let the parable do its job, because that's why Jesus spoke in parables. If Jesus had spoken more clearly, people's defenses would have been up. But C.H. Dodd captures the essence of parables and how Jesus uses them in the following words. A parable draws from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, leaving in the mind 
in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Today, as preachers, we are continually asked and recommended to apply the text to people's lives, to do it for them. The reality is that you as a listener, you're not lazy. You can engage your mind. And that's the purpose of the parable. The parable is to leave you complexed, pondering. You see, the rich man in Lazarus, more than most parables, teases our minds. It's that simple. It's kind of like getting a, a sliver in your thumb. You know, it's deep enough in there that you can't get it out, but you can feel it. And if you touch it, it hurts. Sometimes if you just kind of leave it alone and it doesn't touch anything, don't even know it's there. But it will let you know eventually that it's in there. It's this nagging sensation of pain. In many ways, that's what parables are supposed to do to our minds. So as you look at this text and you think about it, as you take these seven days to ponder it, think about what it would have been like if you had been that beggar. And then wonder and ponder what it would have been like if you had been the wealthy man. And then stop and reflect upon the disparity that we see right now in our world between the have and the have-nots. I hope for a day where we won't have to look toward a parental authoritative type of God to make us consider the disparity between the poor and the rich. That's why ultimately I think we want to moralize this text. Because if we could make it about, well, ultimately it's about good and evil, then we don't have to really think about the poor and the wealthy. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook that easy. He just simply says, this is a parable about a poor man and a wealthy man. And after life, those who suffered will be comforted, and those who felt comfort will feel agony. That's hard as one to swallow, isn't it? But that's the purpose of the parable, is to make you think. And I'm not going to mess the parable up by telling you how to resolve that tension. That's for you. But I hope that more and more of us will spend time with this parable and that we will understand and that we also will feel this indignation between how people have to live their lives. The quality of life 
I wasn't going to talk about this, but if someone needs a medical procedure and their insurance won't cover it, they're out of luck. Their health will be impacted because of that. It's not only a procedure, it could be drugs, and there's so many other examples. But if you got money, you can get the procedure anyway. You can pay for those expensive drugs. There is a disparity there. Not only in here, but it's in education. It's in so many variety of areas of life. And Jesus saw it, and he didn't like it. Do you see it? Does it bother you? Sit with the parable and let it do its job. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.